Welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of December 11th, 2019. I am your host, Sean Higgins, alongside Ski Racing's Mackenzie Moran. And if you enjoy listening to Tips and Tales, we kindly ask that you please rate and review the show on your preferred listening platform. Tips and Tales is available for listening for free on virtually all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plain and simple, rating and reviewing the show is the easiest and best way to get tips and tales in front of new people, expanding our audience, and helping expose more people to the sport we all know and love. On today's show, Mackenzie and I will be breaking down last weekend's World Cup action in Beaver Creek and Lake Louise, as well as taking a little bit of a look ahead into the weekend's racing with the women in St. Moritz and the men over in France in Val d'Isere. Mac, you just got back from Lake Louise. It looked like a pretty snowy trip up there, but uh, lots of exciting racing. What are some of your big takeaways from the series? Big takeaways from the series is that we can't really pinpoint who's going to be on top when it comes to downhill or Super G at this season. The podiums were a bit all over the place. Um, We did have some solid finishes from a couple of women in the top 10 multiple days that are hanging in there. But to be honest, like, I don't know what to expect coming out of the rest of the season. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the highlights of the week. Some, uh, I don't want to say surprise winners, but some unexpected people standing on top of the podium. I'm thinking in particular Esther Ledecka uh, taking her first career World Cup win in the downhill. Esther was just as surprised about her win, I think, as the rest of the field. When she skied into the finish, it was all over her face. But, you know, a lot of people have had, you know, back and forth feelings about Esther because she's also a Olympic gold medalist in snowboarding as well as in Super G on the World Cup level. And so the past couple of seasons, she has been skiing, you know, well in the top 20 on speed events. She just has yet to have a top six until this weekend. So for her, I think that was a really big deal and yet just proved a point that she does belong in the world cup. She is an Alpine racer. And just because she's also a snowboarder doesn't mean that she can't win. And I think another one of the more surprising performances of the week, more talking about the training runs, and there's a whole other discussion we can have about what it means to be fast in a downhill training run, but Norway's Kajivikov Lee, world junior champion, um, but she won both the training runs and then had also followed it up with some solid results on race day. What were your impressions of her skiing this weekend? I was super impressed with Kaija. She, like you said, won both training runs, but... She was also really putting it down on the course. The second day of the downhill, she was skiing at top five pace. And I think coming to the last jump, she just packed a little bit more heat into that turn than she was accustomed to because she got back a little bit, landed and ended up falling, you know, three gates before the finish, which I know she was super bummed about, but she's 21 years old and she has been skiing and at the top of the field this entire week and shown a lot of consistency it is the first series of the of the season so we don't know what to expect out of her skiing come other venues but I was placing bets on a couple racers to do some surprise action this week and I picked her every day so I'm really hoping that she performs well this season she seems like she's really got it dialed in and another kind of surprise for me just looking at results I mean I think a lot of eyes were on Sophia Goja to see how she would uh, 
come into a season fully healthy. I mean, she missed the first half of last season last year with an ankle injury. No Lindsey Vaughn this year, so there's no kind of just kind of figure of Lindsay looming over the women's tour anymore. What were your impressions of Sophia's skiing? I think that Sophia could push it a little bit harder than I saw this week. Um, then again, you know, she is trying to kind of get back into the swing of things and she was coming off of a tech week. She's attempting to reestablish herself in giant slalom and speed is her specialty. But I know that there are a lot of women that struggle with the transition between tech and speed having a weekend back to back. And it is the first race of the season, so maybe she's just looking to find her groove again. But her teammates skied strongly this weekend. We had two Italians on the podium, aside from Goja. So the speed is going to be there in training, and she's going to be having athletes push her and continue to try and force her to be better. So I'm still expecting strong results from her coming forward in the rest of the season. And let's talk a little bit about Michaela Schifrin now. I know, at least in Beaver Creek, uh some of the buzz was that Michaela could win all three races, and I think she's certainly capable of when she does ski her best. Um, as an outsider, kind of looking at the races in the press room in Beaver Creek, it kind of seemed like maybe weather played a little bit with her head, especially in the first downhill day, maybe a little tentative to attack that course with all the new snow. But you were there. What were your impressions of Michaela? I definitely think she stepped off the gas first downhill day. Um the conditions of that course, you know, once it got outside of the track, there was a lot of snow piled up. I was out there during inspection and I was surprised that they were even going to try and put the race on. So when I was sitting in the press room all day, kind of waiting for them to give it a go and they said they were going to go, I was surprised. And I talked to some of the athletes after the race and they were also very surprised. I think actually a couple of them had expressed that they checked out because they just expected to not be skiing that day. Um, the day before Michaela was pushing a really aggressive line in training and she skied out of the course. So I think given the conditions and not like her inability to ski an aggressive line, but Michaela excels on hard snow. That's her jam. That was a really soft course and had a a lower start, which is also something that I she's been expressing that she's been working on as her starts. So I think on the first day she kind of held back on certain sections because she wanted to ski clean and didn't want to get herself caught in any trouble. But that's the impression I just got from watching her ski. She definitely gave it way more the second day and it showed because she got herself in the mix. But you can tell the difference when Michaela is skiing aggressive and on top of her game versus when she's assessing risk in her head, I think. And, and what about the Super GD? I think it was the last day. Weather was good. It was nice and sunny out, but we saw Michaela barely get into the top 10. What, what, what was she saying after Sunday's race? After Sunday's race, I talked to her about the dynamics of Super G and just how that transition is. You train downhill all week. You ski two downhill races and then you hop into the super G which is a little bit more technical but carries similar speeds as downhill and she was saying that while she was trying to ski aggressive she wasn't as precise as she needed to be and with super G if you're not precise those mistakes can either signify that you're going fast or that you're gonna be slow and get too low and be at the back of the pack so I think she's expressed that she's 
struggled with those transitions before, especially after coming off of multiple tech races and this being the first speed series of the year. So she's just going to be looking ahead to try and remember to bring that precision to the Super G runs and know that she has to be aggressive but on point in order for her to execute. And she knows that she has it in her, but this weekend she just fell a little bit short and top 10 still scored some points, but, you know, it wasn't a podium, which I think, you know, fans and onlookers expected. But she knows what she has to do to clean that up. So, yeah, I think the big takeaway from from Lake Louise for the women is that it's the first series of the year. People are still sizing each other up. There's a lot of racing left. And uh, I don't think any any bold predictions made this early in the season are uh, should be taken with a grain of salt when it comes to downhill and Super G. Yeah, especially given the condition of Lake Louise this weekend. I mean, the crew worked so hard to keep, you know, the snow at bay. But like I said before, Michaela does well on hard snow, and it was soft the entire weekend. I mean, it snowed overnight every single night, and they had we had delays every single day trying to get some more of that soft stuff out of the course. So. It, the Super G looked pretty slow from a fan standpoint watching at the bottom. And I think that once they hop over to Europe and get on different venues, we'll start being able to see who's going to come out on top this year a little bit better. Right. And one more thing I want to touch on before we move on to Beaver Creek is the rest of the Americans. We had Alice McKennis, Jackie Wiles, Alice Merriweather, a couple of girls making their first World Cup starts some injuries unfortunately what were some of your impressions of the rest of the american performances it was a big weekend for the americans they had eight girls starting in speed which is the most that they've had over the past couple of seasons last year besides michaela and alice that was it so to have um two veterans wiles back and mckinnis back and then have two new girls starting bella wright and alex wilkinson alongside Alice Merriweather and AJ Hurt you know I think that as a team they collectively were really looking forward to this weekend and unfortunately AJ did AJ Hurt did fall during that sketchy snow condition day and the downhill one um we don't know yet what exactly happened there's rumors that something's going on with her right knee but that it's not severe enough that she can't ski so we'll got, we'll keep you posted on ski racing about how that turns out. But otherwise, McGinnis had a really impressive week, and I think that she was really, really proud and happy with her results. She had her best Super G career finish in 13th, and she also came in 10th on the second downhill day, which given the fact that she has been coming off of this insane injury – where she at one point didn't even think that she was going to be able to walk again is a huge deal. And she's been, she's come back from injury multiple times in her career thus far. So I think she has that process mentally dialed down about what she has to do in order to ski her best. But I think that the overall morale of her and Wiles was high, even though Jackie didn't have, you know, the results that she wanted. She was, pretty bummed that she didn't score points in her first race back because her best finish in Lake Louise was a fifth um, when she was on the World Cup previous to her injury. But talking to her in the finish, like she was just trying 
her best to keep her positive mindset and say like, you know, this is a testament to my perseverance and my grit and being able to even start this week is something that she's really proud of because she hasn't skied in a world cup in over two years or close to two years, 22 months. So that was a big deal for her. And then you have two young girls that are coming up and just stoked to get their first downhill starts. I mean, it was an all around a really positive weekend. Alice Merriweather had her best super G finish of her career, even though she seemed a little dissatisfied with that finish. She knows that she can push it harder than that. And in her downhill second day, she was on pace to be in the top five and she got a little low on that last jump and ended up finishing 11th, but that's still a really solid finish for her. I mean, her career best thus far is a ninth in Garmish. So all around, I think it's going to be a great season for the Americans, and they have a really strong team morale, and they're really looking forward to putting it all out there once they get to Europe. Yeah, and one thing I would add about Alice uh, McKennis in particular is just talk about jumping through mental hurdles just uh, with her initial injury, kind of a freak leg break at a, at a spring camp in Mammoth, and then having to go through all these different surgeries and, and all this rehab, and for her to come back immediately and I think she tied for the win in one of the training runs right and then came and and threw down a scoring performance in her first race back I think that shows her grit more than anything else and I'm I'm, I'm really encouraged by that and I uh, can't wait to see what she and the rest of the team do rest of this year same same man so while I was in Lake Louise because of the delays on Friday I caught a little bit of that starting super g um, and got to, you know, witness Marco's run, but you were there, Sean, tell me about that first race in Beaver Creek this week. What was some big takeaways for you? Yeah. So Beaver Creek was really exciting. Obviously uh, a lot of highlights to go through, but the, the schedule is a little different in Beaver Creek in that, um, we do training runs midweek and then a super G race on Friday instead of going into downhill, like you guys up in Lake Louise did. So it was a little bit of an, an added mental aspect to it, but, uh, yeah, Switzerland's Marco Odermott, 22 years old, kind of delivering on all that promise after all those gold medals at world junior championships, breaking through with his first world cup win in super G, um, it was an interesting race to watch in his run in particular because he was actually the first guy to make it to the finish. It was an interesting course set. It was very fast with some very key sections that you had to nail if you wanted to be fast. And uh, Odermott took risk where he needed to and uh, really let it run. Almost crashed a couple of times. Um, and I think that kind of played some mental games with the guys watching at the start. Um, because they saw him have so much trouble. And I think immediately after that, one of the the, the mirror image to, to Odermott was someone like Max Franz from, from Austria, who really skied well, but played it safe and really regretted it. He was visibly upset with himself in the finish when he crossed the line and seeing how far out he was. Um, but yeah, and then on Kill Day, his, his post-race press conference was, yeah, I watched Marco and he nailed the section where Marco had trouble and then had had trouble later down on the course and lost a half second to finish second place. So that's what makes Super G so exciting because it's really unpredictable. And I think the same on the women's side as well. But uh, it, it was very cool. And then you had Travis Ganong. Um, well, I don't want to say surprisingly solid because he is such a good skier. But he's traditionally been more of a threat on the downhill side. And he's been really coming out strong in Super G. He led the team for, I think, the third race in a row um, on Friday in the Super G. 
But uh, yeah, a lot of interesting takeaways from the Super G race. So then you guys had to switch gears and jump back into downhill. Tell me about what that was like. I didn't get a chance to watch any of it. Yeah, the downhill day was interesting. So we lost a training run early in the week because of snow. So there was only one downhill training run before the downhill race. And it was a it was a mixed bag for, of conditions. The It's a little bit warmer than normal this year in Colorado. So the snow was quite a bit faster. The terrain on the Birds of Prey was quite a bit more pronounced. And that caught a lot of guys off guard um, on the first training run early in the week. And Ryan Cochran Siegel was able to get a good course report and throw down the fastest time in the training run. He kind of admitted that he felt quite a bit of pressure going into race day. And when race day did roll around, um, there were some high winds on the top of the course, which forced the start down to the brink. So it was about 30 seconds shorter than normal. Same, same situation as last year, actually, which was, I thought was really interesting, but, uh, kind of the the added variables of wind and then the clouds started to roll in and it was incredibly flat light on birds of prey which if you've ever been on that track you know you want to know exactly what you're skiing into so i think that added a another layer of uh danger to the race that uh it was interesting to see guys tackle um but bayat foyts was far and away the best guy in the race that day he never looked in doubt he's so solid he's so fast and uh to see him repeat two years in a row he's the only the third guy in history to do that beaver creek i think herman meyer and axel and spindle the only other two men to do that so it showed that he is one of the greatest downhillers of his generation no doubt so do you think that because of the conditions that the guys at the back of the pack may have benefited from a course report i think it was a combination of, yes, good course reports coming up from the early guys, but also the conditions were incredibly fair. The snow was amazing, didn't break down too, too much. It was really responsive snow. It wasn't bouncy, bumpy ice that you normally see over in some of the tougher downhills in Europe. And I think the, the FIS officials uh, noted that as well at, at the team captain's meetings, how fair the conditions were throughout the entire race. And I think a lot of it had to do, I think, as particularly for the Americans. You saw the early American runners, Bryce Bennett, Travis Ganong, Stephen Nyman, um, maybe take the wrong approach, just playing it a little safe, a little too safe in some sections. I think a lot of it had to do with not being able to see um, as much as they would have liked. Um, and I think Ryan took full advantage of that. Ryan Cochran Siegel took full advantage of that in his run and was threatening for a podium. I think he was 800s. Uh, behind that tie for second place. I, I do think that the later runners did have a bit of an advantage just because they had the knowledge of the guys who ran before them. So tell me about Brody Seeger. Yeah, Brody. I don't know Brody. I've never talked to Brody, but he had some incredible attack from the back performances, not only last week in Lake Louise, but also in the downhill in beaver creek uh he started bib 55 right yeah he started way back and then uh just watching him ski it is way more solid than the, the people starting around him like if you watch a downhill there's kind of techniques there are guys who have a really strong tec technical base who necessarily aren't that big i would say marco odermott falls into that category and then you have bigger guys like Foyts, who is also a very strong technical skier but has the mass and uh, can get himself going down the hill brody's a big guy but i was also very impressed with his technical ability and just the guts he showed to to throw down um from the 50s 
and way into the points on the downhill day. So then what the heck happened to Dom? That was also the big surprise. Dom Paris was really a a non-factor in the downhill. And I know his big goal this year is winning that downhill globe. And kind of looking through his career, he's always had one or two bad races. And he cannot afford that if he is going to unseat Foyt's at the top of the downhill standings because Foyt's is so solid every single weekend. Um, I don't want to go as far to say that Paris is out of the mix in the downhill title race because anything can happen, but he cannot afford to have another, uh, I think he was 11th, another finish outside of the top 10 in downhill if he plans on seriously challenging for the downhill title this year. All right. Switching gears again. You guys switched gears a lot in the Beaver Creek weekend. Just a little bit, only a few times. You take it from two speed events, then you're jumping in in the GS. That was a super exciting race despite conditions. Talk to me about what it was like to be in the finish. Yeah. uh, I would say what happened on Sunday was one of the most exciting days I've ever had as a as a World Cup journalist. Um, I think I'm, we're a little bit biased because we're Americans and we and we always love to see an American on top, but it was a day full of drama and uncertainty with the weather. We woke up that morning and it was snowy and it was really foggy. And I think the race wasn't necessarily in jeopardy, but we knew that things could get shaken up quite a bit just given the way the conditions were. But uh, I think Tommy showed that he was like just watching him ski he was the best guy in the race that day like it wasn't some crazy fluky thing with the conditions like his skiing was better than everyone else in the field that day Um, and I think that really made a statement not just for him but for kind of the American GS team as a whole because there's been this progression throughout the last few years um, on the team obviously people wondering who's going to come after Ted Uh, Ted's at the end of his career. Tommy's, even though he's 30 years old, is still very much on the up and up in his progression. You have RCS improving week after week. Um, And I think just to have an American man stand on top of a World Cup giant slalom podium will lift the team up more than people realize. So I'm really excited to see how not just Tommy takes that momentum into this weekend in Val d'Isere, but the rest of the men's GS team as well. Yeah, I mean, Tommy... Tommy grew up skiing at Mount Bachelor, right? So he had some hometown conditions there. I remember I've I've been to Bachelor for races growing up a few times, and it was very similar. A little wet, a little foggy. Um, I think Marcus Caston said it best in a Instagram post congratulating his friend, uh, pro skier Marcus Caston. He said, "You think a little fog and snow is going to throw off a PNSA kid? Absolutely not." And it's a, a red bib for Tommy Ford as well, which is icing on the cake leading the GS standings. I don't think he ever thought he'd be in that position, but uh, hey, anything can happen. Yeah, his his run was beautiful to watch. It was really clean, and he just looked so solid. I was so excited to see him, you know, perform so well because he's a great guy. But Christofferson also made a statement. I know that he finished second, but coming off of his sold-in career run, like that was... Yeah, I think there was a lot of... Maybe not in his own mind, but people watching how his GS was going to stack up the rest of the year after how disappointing his performance was in Solden. Um, But yeah, he kind of showed that he's here to play with a a rebound like that, a second place in GS in uh, Beaver Creek. And I think even more telling was 
how much Alexi Pantro underperformed. It was almost kind of a mirror image of Solden where Kristofferson uh, uh, finished farther back in the field in Solden and Pentro was nowhere to be found in Beaver Creek, which was really surprising. So it'll be interesting to see how that battle plays out the rest of the year. I mean, giant slalom standings kind of look like it's a bit of a toss up right now, but what were some other strong performances that you noticed during the race? Yeah. Just to make a point about the giant slalom standings, I think men's GS is going to be the most uncertain globe race this year, just because there are so many guys with the potential to at least get on the podium. Um, I think we won't know until the last weeks of the year or maybe even finals who will even finish top three in those standings. So really excited to see how that plays out. And then talking about other top performances, uh, Trevor Philp, friend of the show, got into the top 10 with his career best GS finish in seventh. And uh, talking to him after the race, he was pretty funny. He actually talked about how nervous he was before the race. Um, hearing him talk about how he how much he enjoys racing in beaver creek and knowing that he had to take some risk that day his second run was a lot of fireworks he put it down on his hip a couple times but kept the momentum going and and ended up with a a career best finish so that was really awesome to see and then also norway's lucas brothen he's 19 years old born in 2000 which is kind of freaky to think about he was 15th in Beaver Creek and was 6th in Solden. So he's solidifying himself as a legit World Cup giant slalom skier. Uh, his coach, Johnny Davidson, was actually my coach when I was at UVM. So shout out to Johnny. I know you're listening right now. Um, great job with your boys. But yeah, I think to see the amount of talent the Norwegians have, I think we've talked about the women in, over the last couple of weeks, but the men as well, they've got talent at every level. They have guys who can win. And they have young guys coming up who are really shaking things up um, in the standings as well. So there's a lot to uh, look forward to this year. Tommy Ford stood at the top of the podium. You were talking about how a win like that means a lot to the American Tech team. What did you see from the rest of the guys that were competing in Giants Slalom this weekend? I saw a lot of positives from that. I know Ted was pretty disappointed with his second run, um, but I think the skiing was there. I think he was a little surprised at at how far he fell back in the standings after his second run. But knowing his program now and how good he feels on his skis, he's he's a different guy, I think. Um, And I'm really encouraged by his progress this year. I know he was looking for another top five, if not stand on the podium with his teammate, which would have been amazing. But uh, I think Ted is on an upward trend right now, even though he did... Um, finish outside the top 10 at Beaver Creek but then RCS another one I know he was looking he was looking for a lot more out of uh, the GS day in particular but I think with him right now with how competitive GS is he's looking for points in every race so he can make World Cup finals I know that was a big disappointment for him last year to miss out on finals by a single point Um, so I think just to get in and uh, maybe move into that second seed, that top 15 seed, will be a really big goal of his for the rest of the season. Um, and then the other younger guys, Brian McLaughlin, River Adamus, um, talented guys. Conditions got really bad after the top 30. The fog really, really rolled in. It was hard to see the Jumbotron at the finish, so we were just kind of looking at split times. I know uh, Brian had a, quite a bit of trouble right out of the gate and kind of took himself out of it almost immediately. Um, 
River puts a lot of pressure on himself, and I know he was pretty disappointed in his performances this weekend, but we know he's one of the most talented guys, if not on the U.S. team, if on the entire World Cup of that younger crew coming up. Um, and then actually one standout run to me, George Steffi had his first World Cup start, started dead last, and did not make the flip, wasn't really in contention for the flip for the majority of his run, but the turns I was able to see... There was something there, and I think if once he gets a little bit more experience, a little more confidence under his belt, he could very well find himself into the points this year if he gets the opportunity to do that. So uh, a lot of positives for the American men this week, and I can't wait to see how uh, Valdezere turns out. Yeah. All right, moving on to this weekend's racing. The women will be in St. Moritz, Switzerland, and the men in Val d'Isere, France. We're switching it up a little bit. I'm actually headed over to Europe on Wednesday, um, and I'll be covering the women's tour in December um, for NBC, and I'll actually be at St. Moritz. It's a it's an interesting weekend. We go to Super G and a parallel slalom, which you don't really see uh, paired together. Yeah, coming in this weekend, the big question for the women is going to be whether or not Schifrin participates in the parallel slalom. We've heard rumors on RN that she's trying to do some self-preservation and preserve her back before taking on another huge program this season. And we haven't received any official confirmation yet about whether or not she will start, but it's in question, although she will be starting in the Super G. Yeah, I think it's a, a really tactical move on, on Schifrin's part to uh, possibly be sitting out the parallel. I know a lot of people may look at that and, and think it's it's backwards and that she should sit out the Super G even because she's uh, such a dominant parallel skier. But talking with uh, some of the USK team staff at Beaver Creek, parallel is really hard on people's backs. And I know Michaela had dealt with maybe a little bit of a nagging bat problem heading into this season. So she's looking long term. She wants to be fresh throughout the entire year. Um, and then also we talked about this earlier, but women's super G is very, still very much up in the air and she got a taste for that crystal globe last year. And you got to think that she's got that on her mind again this year. Um, another interesting development, uh, we got a notification this morning from FIS that, uh, given the weather, possible weather this weekend in St. Moritz, they may flip the schedule and run the parallel first and then the Super G on Sunday. So we will keep an eye out for that and update you on skiracing.com if things change. So moving on to the men's races in Val d'Isere, what are we looking for? Another another race, a lot of snow in the forecast. The Alps in December are very unpredictable with uh, the amount of snow they get. Val d'Isere is, in my opinion, the most challenging slalom and giant slalom track for the men far and away just how steep and demanding that track is from start to finish what are you looking for this weekend out of the men gosh I mean like you were saying I got a little bit of a taste of Valzer last year I got to spend some time out there during the men's races and that pitch is just consistently extremely steep so I think it's going to be about whoever can keep their tempo going for the entire course and keep it clean and on top of it the entire time because there aren't it, there isn't a lot of terrain there it's just whoosh. so honestly I couldn't tell you like what I'm thinking about in terms of giant slalom because like we were saying earlier it's so competitive there are so many guys that have the capacity to punch it into the top three and we have the classics that we expect to see do well on the podium but 
I'm a big fan of the underdogs, so I always love to see somebody come in and shake it up. So I'm not going to put anything out there in terms of my picks for the top because I'd like to see something surprising happen. I think to to your point, Valdezere is is a very challenging place to be a tech skier. Um, and given that, there have been some very big surprises, like you said. There's a, a very good chance we could see someone we've never seen before in both the Slalom and the GS land on the podium. And I know from a French perspective, they've got Clement Noel in Slalom and Alexi Pentreau in Giant Slalom, so they would love to see the double victory from the French. I think uh, Noel has a bit of a fire lit under him after miss out on that win in Levy just by a few hundredths of a second. And then Pentreau, too, with how disappointing he was in Giant Slalom in Beaver Creek, he's going to be looking for that win in Val d'Isere, which he's won there before. Um, so I've got my eye on the French men. I think they're going to show up big on home snow. Yeah, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of guys that are looking to make a statement in Val um, especially where if we're looking at Americans in Slalom, you've got Luke Winters, who's still has this pressure to create another spot for another American guy to be starting with him in the slalom gate. And I know that he's feeling that pressure, but based on what we saw out of his performance in Levy, I think he's going to make it happen. What about you? Yeah, I think there was, it was very telling that uh, Luke and his coaching staff did not make the trip to Beaver Creek. They uh, went from Levy straight down to Europe and had been training in Val d'Isere pretty much since Levy. Um, so there's gonna be no doubt that he's prepared to perform, um, whether he does or not. I, I think it's a matter of time before Luke gets in there in slalom. Um, that being said, Valdezere is a challenge, but, uh, yeah, like you said, based on what we saw in Levy, he's more than up to it. So if I was a betting man, I'd put some money on Luke winners this weekend. Let's see it, buddy. All right, that wraps for our show today. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up with you guys next week.